Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. We are uh, in a series called Patterns, and uh, and last week uh, Travis Travis brought the message. And, and if you weren't here last week and you missed last week's message, I would encourage you. Uh, today or sometime this week to make sure you catch up and listen to the message from last week. It was pretty, pretty powerful and pretty incredible and, and really, I think, gave us some things to really think about and, and brought some clarity to, uh, to, to how we work and the world around us work. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, this morning, as, as uh, we get into the next pattern that we wanted to look at in, in Genesis 1 to 3, um, it kind of hold hands with what Travis uh, spoke and, and, and talked about last week. But um, as we get into it, I, I am a, a, a product of the 80s. Anybody 80s products here? You know, like you're, you're very for, important years were spent in the 80s. Yeah, the 80s had fantastic music, right? Right? Sounds like we're not quite sold on that, right? Okay. Um, the way I bother actual musicians is I say that C.C. DeVille was the best guitarist ever. If that means nothing to you, don't worry about it. If you're a musician, you hate me right now. Um, uh, but anyway, so one of the things that was great about the 80s were the sitcoms, the TV sitcoms. And, and they, were just, they were just so great. Like, for example, like uh, Cheers. Like, that just encompassed the, 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 the need of every one of us, that we just want to go somewhere that everybody knows our name. You know, like, that was just the greatest. Or, or like, who's the boss? Um, the, the weirdly dysfunctional relationship between uh, these two people and, and really who is the boss. I don't think the, the show ever answered that question. Um, you had the, the Cosby show, which was just such a great picture of, of a family and, and walking through different things. And, and, and how about, like, I don't know, today, um, I know there's, there's some, some football game going on today, um, but the TV show Coach, like one of the greatest shows. Uh, anybody watch Coach? Yes, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, Dauber was the real power behind that TV show. Um, the Jeffersons moving on up. Um, Charles in charge. Uh, you know, what's, what's interesting is all these shows had a similar comedic theme going on in them and kind of piecing them together. And, and it was this theme that centered around who was really in charge and how it all played out. Because, you know, you think about that and, and, and you know by watching Cheers that, that Sam thinks he's in charge, but he's not. Um, you know, on the Cosby show, you know, we all know that Claire was the one who was really calling the shots. Um, Cliff didn't do much. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you look at all those things, and it's funny, and, and, and Charles in charge, it really wasn't Charles, it was actually the kids who were in charge and calling all the shots. And it's just so, so interesting, and, and I think those shows struck a chord because they made humorous what we kind of deal with every day. They're like trying to figure out whose who's, who's way we're going to go and all that kind of stuff. And, and if, you, if you've ever had a, a child in your home um, for any amount of time, you've dealt with the inevitable, horrible statement, um, you're not the boss of me. And like every child has uttered that at some point 
toward their parents or, or their relative or, or someone there. And you're not the boss of me. And, and here's, and you just, you can't respond. Like I can respond logically why I am the boss of you. But that's the problem with kids is they don't get logic and that's why I don't do well with them. And so it's just difficult to communicate with these people who don't understand how to think rationally. So, so you know, it, it, but, but, but every parent walks through this kind of valley in some way of dealing with someone who says, you're not the boss of me. And, and every parent applies their parental role of authority in, in, in sometimes more effective ways, sometimes less effective ways, but, but it's all super interesting to see that that, that happen. But, but the reality in life is that, 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 that someone ultimately has to be in charge. And that's actually the way God designed it. God, God actually designed our, our world and, and, and things around with a structure of authority. And, and, and it's, it's difficult because, because that, that structure has been corrupted, and there's all kinds of difficulties in this. And this morning, um, I, wanna, I wanna look at the pattern that we see, again, anchored and, and introduced in, in Genesis, the first three chapters, and then how it kind of plays out through, through Scripture. But I wanna kind of back into it, so I'm not gonna actually look at the pattern, really, un- until after we, we can kind of look at, at what that pattern, what is characteristic of that pattern. Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter one. Um, and I do want to establish, this is what I would call the, the mandate, uh, the mandate uh, or the dominion mandate is what, what it is. In Genesis chapter one, in verse 26, God issues this mandate for, for all the world that, that, it, that has to do with dominion or authority or rule. So in Genesis chapter one, Starting in verse 36, uh, 26, here's what, here's what it says. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then he goes in to say, I've given you every seed, seed yielding plant on the face of the earth. And he talks about food and, and all of that. But, but here in, in Genesis chapter one, at the end of chapter one, God gives this dominion mandate. It's, it's in the midst of the sixth day and, and God makes humans in his own image, different from everything else that he created. And, and we've, we've talked about this before, but, but it's important to recognize that that's what God did. And, and so the mandate that he gives, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. In essence, God is giving humanity authority to be in charge of the world that he created. He doesn't give that to anyone else, anything else that he created. Notice that he's given this authority only to those who bear his image, not the animals, not the plants, not the dirt, not anything else, but he's given that authority, that dominion mandate to those who bear his image. And that mandate is to humanity. Notice that in in, in those verses in Genesis chapter one, it says that 
Male and female, he created them to have dominion. And so we need to understand that God's mandate of dominion is for humanity. And while there is some uniqueness to the mantle of rule, it's for human beings and it's for both men and women. And there's some uniqueness in that authority, in that dominion. We see that actually in the consequences of disobedience and sin in the fall. But God has called them, them humanity to rule on his behalf. And so, therefore, the rule of these imagers that he's called to have dominion should reflect the nature and the character of God, the creator, and those imagers will be called to account for how they rule. And so there's this very clear dominion mandate that God has given humanity to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth and have dominion over all that God has created. And so here's, here's really what, what this pattern we're gonna see flesh out here in a little bit throughout the pages of scripture. That humanity is created in God's royal image to rule on God's behalf. But when humans rebel and make themselves gods, they cease to reflect God's image and begin to rule like beasts. That's what happens. That's what this pattern is that we're, we're seeing in scripture that God, God shows us in the beginning. Because in the beginning he says, I want you to have dominion and I want you to rule, but I want you to do this in reflection of me. That, that when we rule, we rule in God's image and in his character. But when we, again, focus on ourselves and, and, and rule our way and make ourselves gods, then we cease to reflect his image and begin to rule like beasts. And before we get into the, the, the different passages of scripture that you really see this play out, I want to give us something to, to actually... Um, see the difference between ruling in God's image and ruling in beastly image. Kind of the beastly rule versus God's rule and what he's called. And so, and so there's, there's, a, there's five, five, I think, characteristics that at least I've pulled out uh, and, and we'll see it played out in scripture. And so, so I have a chart that I wanna put up on screen um, and I wanna talk through what, Again, ruling in God's image or ruling in the beastly image looks like for us. And so the first thing that is characteristic of, of imaging God's rule is humility. That is, that is the, the character of God. And, and when you look at it, Philippians and what, what Paul writes about Jesus, it says Jesus, though he was fully God, didn't grasp that but humbled himself. See, one of the things that God does and we reflect his image is that humility. See, when we image beastly ruling, it is all arrogance and pride. You see this again at the fall and even in the background where Lucifer was one of the angels and he wanted to be like God, equal to God, better than God. And so in his arrogance and pride, he fell because instead of imaging what God is, he imaged the beast. And, and, and secondly, we see a characteristic of prayer or dependence because really that's what prayer is, isn't it? When we pray to God, we are expressing our dependence on God, that we need God and, and that's what prayer really is. And, and so part of imaging God's rule is that we 
reflect him by being dependent on him. And really, the, the, the beastly ruling side is, is autonomy, basically saying, I don't need anyone or anything. I am sufficient and complete in myself, and I am, am basically the Lord of all my decisions. And, and that's exactly what, what we see playing out in, in beastly rule. Uh, thirdly, love, and, and, and we've talked about this so many times here at Crosspoint, that, that the biblical characteristic of, of biblical God's love is patience, kindness, and honesty. That as we rule and carry out dominion over the things that God has placed us in authority over, that, that we do that in a loving manner, which, which is patience and kindness and honesty. It's where those things actually all come together. And you see, an image, imaging the beastly rule would be what I would say is anti-love, which is impatient brutal and deceptive. And, and then another thing that is characteristic of, of imaging God's rule is that of conviction, that the way we, we live life and make decisions is, is based on conviction, the conviction of what God says is true in his word, that, that even if we, we have a hard time with it or we don't feel like it, it feels good to us or if it's difficult or if it's hard to carry out, that we still make our decisions based on the conviction of what God says is true rather than what we want to be true or what makes us feel best. So when we image beastly rule, we make decisions out of concern. I'm concerned that I might miss this, so I'm gonna do this, which might not be necessarily a good thing or an appropriate thing. Or, or we make, make decisions out of our concerns of what we might miss or what, what might happen later or those things. And, and the reality is, is concerns aren't wrong in our lives, but, but don't let concern have a vote. Let concern have a voice, but make decisions and vote with conviction. Not because of what you're concerned about. And, and, and so then finally, finally we see in, in imaging God's rule is this idea of transformation that, that God is about making us in his image, in his likeness. And so there's a process of change. There's a process of, of transformation in our lives that, that God is making us into who he created us to be. It's not about being who we are. Because you see, that's, that's more this idea of, of stagnation, that, that there's, there's no real input and in flowing out and becoming who we're called to be. And, and really that's that beastly, beastly rule. A stagnation that there's no growth, there's no change, there's no becoming like Jesus. In fact, in fact the, 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 the one marker of, of, of beastly rule is I'm becoming more who I am. That's not the message of scripture, is it? It's we're becoming who Jesus is. And, and so we see these things and, and, and we wanna keep this at our forefront as we look at these different scriptures to see this pattern that, that, we, that God has set. Because you see in scripture, in, in Genesis, God has said, this is how I want you to rule. I want you to rule and have dominion reflecting me, imaging my rule. But what happens is, is that, that that dominion has been corrupted and as human beings, we then make a choice to either rule in the image of God or rule in the image of beasts. So if you have your Bible still open, um, turn over from Genesis 1 to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we first see this pattern. And in verse 1, 
Let me just read the first six verses. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. That should kind of get your attention as we, as we look through this and we see this idea of, of imaging God in his rule or imaging beasts in their rule. And so it says, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice how this serpent, this beast, is approaching to influence Eve. He's using some deception and there's some arrogance and pride in, in what the serpent is saying. And so it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Which would have been fine if she stopped there. She would have been exercising her dominion and her authority in a positive way. But then she says, neither shall you touch it lest you die. That wasn't what God said. That was her kind of separating herself from, from the way God modeled for her and, and called her to rule and to interact with, with other creatures. And so she starts going down this, this slide. And then in verse four, it says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God appealing to, to, to Eve's maybe desire to be autonomous and her pride and her arrogance. And he says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You won't have to depend on God anymore. You can be your own woman. You can be who you wanna be rather than who God wants you to be. So the woman, and Travis talked about this last week, saw that the tree was good for food and thought it was a delight to the eyes, desirable, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And, and, and so what we see in this moment in Genesis chapter three, we see whose image is Eve reflecting? She begins in the garden. God has created this garden and called her and Adam to have dominion and rule. And, and subdue the garden. And then, and then Eve has this conversation with this beast who says, live more like I live. How about you exercise your authority and dominion this way rather than in humility, dependence on God and, and recognizing who God is. It would make more sense for you to be in charge and be autonomous. And so the, the reality is this, that humans are designed to rule in God's image, but when they rebel against God, they reflect the image of beasts. They look more like beasts than humans made in God's image. See, there's an animal nature that is unleashed in humans when we don't submit to a definition of good and evil greater than our own definition. And if you look at society and the culture around us today, it's very obvious that we live in a place where no one recognizes the definition of good and evil apart from their own definition. I all, we all have our own truth. We all define what is good and evil for ourselves. We don't look to God to define good and evil in the world around us. And, and so there's this issue that, that we begin to then rule rather like the way God has called us to rule. We rule like beasts. Because you see in the animal kingdom, there's no good and evil it's just whatever helps me to survive. It's survival and it's self-preservation. And there's no need to call. I mean, if, if an animal kills another animal, 
It's not good or evil. It's not murder. It's just survival. You see, we need that that definition of good and evil that's greater than our own definition, the definition that God gives. If you jump down in in, in chapter three to to verse 14, we see see the the, the consequences of of this decision that Eve makes and and Adam goes right along with. He was there the whole time thinking, yeah, this, this sounds good to me. I can be my own man. I can make my own decisions. And so God speaks to the serpent and, and to the man and to the woman. And he says to the serpent in verse 14, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Immediately God says, this is not okay. But immediately God says, I have a way for redemption and gives this brief insight that there will come a day that that there will be an offspring that will make things right. Then he says in verse 15, or then he says in verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Think about this for a second. In in the light of the, the dominion mandate, God called humanity, men and women, to 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 have dominion over all that he created. And then the curse of the fall, because of sin, it says that your desire shall be contrary to your husband. You will not see eye to eye and you will argue and your way of ruling and the dominion that I gave you will become in conflict. And there's gonna be trouble and he'll rule over you and and you'll be miserable. And, And he said, that's because you disobeyed. And to Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. You see, here's what he says. And then he goes on and he says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. for For you are dust and to dust, you will return. Basically, this this land that God called Adam to to have dominion over will actually rule him. He says, in in, in the land that that I gave you to, 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 to fulfill and to subdue, it will end up subduing you. And you'll be miserable. And eventually you'll just return to the dust of the ground and and that will be the ultimate domination of the ground of, of mankind. So God says, look, there's there's these consequences. At the very beginning, God showed us that he will not allow us to abdicate our role that he created us for. And there are consequences when we choose to image creation rather than the creator. In verse 22, here's the kind of the final kind of closing the doors. It says, then God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now let us, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden that he created for them to work the ground which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That here, what God established, this good pattern that he established to to, to 
to have dominion, to have rule, authority over all of God's creation. To do that in his image all of a sudden is corrupted and humankind chooses to image the beastly way of ruling. Turn over to Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four, we see this pattern coming up again and we see it illustrated in a very literal way. Daniel chapter four has a story of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and and the context kind of leading up to it. I want to get up to it. Um, In Daniel chapter two, actually, uh, it's, it's interesting the, the process that Nebuchadnezzar walks through and we get a little bit of an insight into how he thinks and how he perceives the world. And in Daniel 2, uh, we, we see Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And Daniel, he calls on Daniel because he think, Daniel seems to have shown some promise in the area of, of interpreting dreams. And so he calls Daniel to interpret his dream. And Daniel does. And King Nebuchadnezzar is, 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 is impressed with Daniel's interpretation skills. And so it says in verse 46 of chapter two, it says, the king ne- then King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to what he does, fell upon his face, paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a reveler of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Think about what it says that that Nebuchadnezzar did to Daniel. It says, he fell on his face, paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and an incense be offered up to him. What is he doing with Daniel right now? He's worshiping him. He's worshiping Daniel. He's not worshiping Daniel's God. He's worshiping Daniel because Daniel did something that impressed him. I mean, isn't that how, isn't that the context of worship? I mean, someone came and fall, fell on their face before you and, and started to say how great and wondrous you are and then brought you all kinds of offerings and started burning incense. I would hope you'd feel slightly uncomfortable, but they're worshiping you. It's pretty clear. Then in Daniel 3, you've got the, we've got the, the situation where, where Nebuchadnezzar moves from worshiping Daniel not to worshiping God, but he builds this statue of himself and says, when you hear the music play, I want you to worship me. I want you to worship the idol that looks like me. You see, Nebuchadnezzar what was representing all of the characteristics of, of imaging a beastly rule, even though God had placed him in authority and called him to rule. And, and so, so we, we eventually get to, to Daniel 4, and this is where we see the, this all kind of come to, come to a climax. And, and so in, in 4, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he calls on Daniel to interpret the dream. And in verse 27 of chapter four, here's, here's kind of the summary of what, what Daniel says about the dream. He interprets it, and then he says this in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. 
See, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had was a disturbing dream about his future. And what Daniel says here is, you need to image God in the way you rule. You've got to stop being a beastly ruler. You've got to stop rebelling against God. He says, he says break off your sins by practicing righteousness. And then he says, he says, in your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. He's brutal, he's impatient, he's deceptive. He, he doesn't love those that he's called to have authority over and lead. And so Daniel says that, that if, you, if you choose to put away your beastly rule and image God in the way that you have this dominion over this nation, over kind of the known world at that time, that perhaps maybe God will favor you and God will allow you to prosper. Because if, if you don't change your ways, God is going to respond to you. And then in verse 28, it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, I mean, he's alone on his roof and he answered, which he's talking to himself, so that's slightly concerning. And it says, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. Think about this. This is, he, he literally becomes a beast. He becomes the image of the way he chose to exercise the authority that God granted him. God literally illustrates what happens when we choose to rule by imaging beasts instead of imaging God. A beast does what it does for self-preservation and self-promotion. When we image God, we behave in a way that we reflect God accurately and bring him glory. And see, when we acknowledge that God is truly the wise sovereign, then we become true imagers of God. But when we don't, we turn, when we turn to ourselves, God reveals what we are, beasts. Notice what scripture says in the next verse, in verse 34 of, of Daniel 4. It says, and, and this is actually a, a, a commentary by King Nebuchadnezzar later after he's gone through this. It says, the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar looks back and he recognizes that, that 
that God is God and that God is the one who placed him in authority and that he recognizes in that moment the dominion mandate. Turn over a few, a few chapters to Daniel chapter seven. You see, not only do we see this pattern of dominion and corrupted dominion in, in, on, a, on a personal individual level, but we see it on a global level. In Daniel 7, Daniel has this dream. God gives him a dream. And it's a crazy dream. It like goes all over the place because it includes these crazy beasts and this one called the Ancient of Days and, and the Son of Man. And, and, and it's got all this stuff going on. In fact, just kind of looking a little bit at it, in Daniel 7, uh, in, in, verse, in verse 2, it says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts, in fact, when you, when you read chapter, verse two, I saw my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Notice that that was the description before God created and stilled the waters in the creation narrative. This is almost like an uncreating. Because you see, when we choose to image beasts in our dominion, it's like we're, we're uncreating what God created. We're, we're corrupting what God did. And so he says, he says, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, a different one from another. The first was like a lion that had eagle's wings. And then it describes it. And then it says another, the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And then it says a third beast in verse six, after I looked and behold another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And then it says in verse seven, and after this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. See, as as Daniel has this dream and then he wakes from it and then God gives him the, the interpretation of what he dreamed. And you see those four beasts represented four empires. Some that were current in Daniel's time, but then some that were beyond Daniel's time. That the lion represented Babylon. The bear represented Medo-Persia, that empire. And, And the leopard represented Greece. And the most ferocious, terrifying beast represented Rome. And notice that God describes these empires, these world empires as beasts. Why? Because God ordained each of those empires to rule in his image, but each of those empires chose to rule like beasts. If you look at, if you look at the description of, of imaging beastly rule or imaging God's rule, when you think of the Babylonian empire, what characterizes the, the, what we know in history of the Babylonian empire? Arrogance and pride and autonomy and brutality and deception and, and stagnation. And it, that, that describes the Roman Empire as well, what we know of it in history. It's clear that, that God, was, God was giving this, showing us this pattern that, that earthly kingdoms will gravitate toward beastly rule unless they recognize God and surrender to him. It's interesting we see, we see God talking in, in, to John, the Apostle John, in, in Revelation 13. And it's, it's, it's cool because there's kind of a connection to Daniel 7 in Revelation 13. And, 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 and it's interesting. He says, 
In 13.1, he says, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And it says, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion. It's like the reverse order. It's as if John is seeing what has already happened, what's been fulfilled, and these kingdom has risen and fallen, but he's seeing it from, from a different perspective than Daniel was seeing. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because as, as God gives, gives John this vision, look at, what, look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its habitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. See, here, here he talks about a man, a person who comes to power in the end days and he describes him as a beast. You see, there is this pattern that we see that's established in Genesis and we see it all the way through Revelation. That God sets up human authority to rule in his image, reflecting his character, but human kingdoms rebel against God and become beastly rulers rather than the ruling the way God has modeled them to rule. And God will deal with this and eventually, once and for all, make all things right. But doesn't this explain a little bit about the world in which we live and give perspective to what we see and we experience? Think about this in recent days. The state of world governments, how they rule. I think of Iran right now and what I'm hearing of, of, of how the Iranian government, this, glo- this government treats its own people. And the deceptiveness in, in information and admitting what they do and don't do. But let's also look at this in, in reference to the human, the, the, the kingdom of our government, our, 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 the state of our government. Let me ask you this to think about a little bit. When you think of our last couple presidents, current president, President Trump, and our former president, President Obama, when you think of the way that they exercise their authority and exercise their authority, what do you think characterizes them? Were either of those two men characterized by humility? Were either characterized by prayerful dependence, patience, kindness, honesty, conviction, transformation? Here's the thing, those are two very different men who made very different decisions and policies. But their way of having their dominion, their way of ruling, their way of exercising their authority is beastly rule. And I say that because we, as those who have surrendered to Jesus, have to have clear vision of what's going on around us. We have to recognize what it is to image God's rule and image beastly rule taking it even maybe down to, to another level, what about at work? If you're, if you're an employer and you, you are over people, how do you execute your authority over people? Do you do it in a way that re- reflects the beastly rule or a way that reflects imaging God's rule? 
What about his parents? How do you exercise your parental dominion, your authority over your children? Do you, are you patient or are you impatient? Do you parent in humility or do you parent in pride? What about as husbands? How do you exercise your authority with your spouse, with your wife? Do you image God's rule and authority or do you image beastly rule? And wives, how do you image your authority in your marriage? Do you reflect God's image in ruling or do you reflect a beastly image? You see, the pattern God sets up for us is to rule as his imager. The corrupted pattern is that we trade that out to rule in the image of beasts. You know, one, one place that you can find Jesus clearly spelling out what we saw on screen on, those, on that chart, one, one place that we can see where Jesus extrapolates and explains this is how you image God's rule is Matthew chapter five, verses two through 16, the Beatitudes. That's where Jesus basically expounds upon those five things that we have up on that chart that reflect God's image in ruling. The Beatitudes are just the long form of those five behaviors. It is actually very easy to see and evaluate how people are handling their mandate to care and to care for and be in charge of the world and the people in it. And so I would challenge you this week because this is really significant. This is really significant. God has called us as his image bearers to have dominion and rule over his creation. And at every point, we make a choice to either rule in his image or rule in a beastly image. All the way from world rulers to employers and parents and husbands and wives. And so as you go through this week, as you, as you sit down together as a family, as you sit down together in your, in your groups, I want you to do a few things. Number one, ask yourself and each other, what image am I reflecting to those around me? Do I reflect the creator or do I reflect a created beast? How do, what do I reflect as I exercise my authority and my dominion and my rule? Secondly, this. Make sure you take that chart and, and what does my life look like when measured by those five behaviors? What does my life look like when measured against that? Do I fall in that beastly rule column or do I more characterize and reflect imaging God's rule? Here's the hard part. That can be applied to every spot in your life. And as I've been walking through this this week, I've been very clearly reminded that I have a lot of work to do. And the way I exercise my authority as a boss, as a husband, and as a father. And finally, I would encourage and challenge every one of us here this morning to read Matthew chapter 5, 2 through 16 every day this week and take note, whether mental or write it out in a journal, of who you are, who you are either described or not described as in this passage. 
Does what Jesus says in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, does that describe you? Because if it doesn't, then there's a pretty high likelihood that you are exercising the the mandate God gave you in a beastly manner. This morning, at least for me, I believe that God has been in a process of, of helping me understand the world around me and why things happen the way they do. And he's, been, and he's been working in me and helping me to change how I exercise the authority that he's given me. My prayer for you this morning is that you would really take this to heart because it's hard, but it's worth it. You see, the temptation that I think I face most regularly is when people treat me in a beastly manner, I want to respond that way. That when somebody is arrogant or prideful towards me, I want to put them down in an arrogant and prideful way. But you see, what God calls us to do as Jesus followers is to respond to beastly rule with imaging God's rule. And we can see stories of of person after person throughout God's word who did that. Guys like Daniel, who responded to Nebuchadnezzar's beastly rule with imaging God's rule. Let me pray for us. And I wanna invite the prayer team to come forward. After I pray, if if you need prayer, please come forward to one of the people who, who will be up here. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you for how clearly you speak to us through your word. God, I thank you for how deeply you love us and how valuable we are to you that you would call us to rule the creation on your behalf. So Father, help us to take seriously ruling and having dominion. That God, in that we would image the way that you call us to rule, that we would not rebel against you and image beasts. Father, help us to see clearly those rulers that are over us and that we would not be blinded to the image that they are ruling in. Father, help us to image your rule in the way that we interact with those that we are at work and those that we are interacting with socially, those that are in our families. Father, I pray that we would image you toward them regardless of what we experience from them. Father, I pray that we would be a people who truly are characterized by imaging the way that you have modeled for us to rule and have dominion and care for the creation that you've given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.